Visit Arizona. Time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And it is a nice summer Sunday morning out there. <laughs> it's uh, it's cool-wise. It's about as good as it's going to get today. And that's not very cool. But, hey, if you've lived in Texas very long, you know what summers are like. Just seems to be getting here a little bit early this year. And, uh, boy, we can sure use some of those good rainstorms that frequently occur warm weather but sure hasn't happened yet but we gardeners are going to get out we're going to do things in our yards and in our gardens it's just you better get out early if you're really going to enjoy it today and if you have questions you know we enjoy talking about those you better hurry though uh, have one line open uh, looks like kim and deb and thomas have all gotten in ahead of you but uh, doesn't mean you can't grab that last line and i will certainly look forward to talking to you uh don't really have anything that I think is more important than your question. So let's just get started, and we start with Kim. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I have several questions. Um, so I happened across some caladium bulbs that were marked down because I guess, you know, all their bulbs were marked down, but I know a lot of them don't grow here well. But is it too late to plant them? Oh, caladiums, absolutely not. It's still an ideal time. Caladiums love warm soil. Now, feel the bulbs and be sure that they uh, do feel solid. Uh, They were a good buy if they do feel solid. Uh, Anything that feels real lightweight or feels like it's just shriveled up and dried out, don't waste your time with those. But uh, if you plant caladiums early in the spring, sometimes it can take two weeks for them to come up or more. When you plant them this time of year, it usually takes about two days for them to start growing. So, no, I consider this to be an ideal time to plant caladiums. And don't know how much you know about caladiums but they're basically two types there are what we call the fancy leaf caladiums that the leaves tend to be a little bit broader and tend to be rounded and then we have what are called strap leaf caladiums which will have a more narrow and more pointed leaf both types of caladiums will do well in the shade the strap leaves will tolerate sun even hot sun but uh just be careful with the fancy leaf types that you do not put them where they get any more than morning sun morning sun's okay but hot afternoon sun will burn the fancy leaves up if you want to put caladiums in the sun be sure that you're getting the strap leaf varieties and other than that just um if you're unsure which side is up on a caladium bulb, plant it on its side because at least it will come up that way. But normally you can, if you look carefully, you'll see sort of little pink protrusions that are always going to be on the top side. The bottom side will usually be a little bit smoother. And don't plant them too too deep in the ground. Probably about an inch below the surface is uh, going to be ideal. Okay. And are they something that you can dig up and keep over the winter, or it's not really worth it? 
Well, that depends on what kind of care you give them between now and winter. If you feed them regularly, if you keep them well watered, yes, you could dig them up and the bulbs would be fine. About 99% of the people that plant caladiums, however, figure, well, it's a bulb and it doesn't need a whole lot. And that big bulb that they plant in spring or summer, when they go to dig up in the fall, there's nothing left. So you've, you've got to work at it. You've got to work at maintaining those bulbs, which means plenty of fertilizer, regular watering. If you do that, you will have uh, uh, bulbs that you can dig, can dry, can store over the winter months. But uh, very few people give caladiums enough attention to be able to do that. That's probably me, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love an honest gardener. It certainly is me. It just, there's too many things to do. I swear these days just keep getting shorter and shorter, and my lists keep growing and growing. So believe me, I sympathize with you. But, uh, no, it's an excellent time to plant caladiums, and with care, they okay. will last for you all the way up to until freezing weather, whether you choose to dig the bulbs or not. So I have a small satsuma that I bought um, at a local nursery and um, it's just, I planted it the fall of 2020, which was right before Yuri and I I kept it alive. I did not lose electricity the way a lot of people here in Austin did and I had Christmas lights around it. I had it covered in, you know, um, frost cloth and it, it did survive it just is not really growing well and i fertilize it with um espoma uh Uh citrus fertilizer i i I just don't know what i can do i've sprayed it with the the medina because i I heard y'all talking about the bricks and whatnot right so what what else can i do for it well you know, to some extent, it just is. It requires patience. Uh, first year or two that most woody plants are in the ground, they spend a lot more time growing the roots than they do growing the top, and that's very frustrating because we want to see them just explode into growth. But until they get a root system well established to support that growth, they're not going to make a whole lot of it. And quite frankly, the demand for citrus has been so high. The growers are shipping it out, in my opinion, before it's very well rooted, before it really is ready to be sold. And so you're going to spend a year or two finishing the job that the grower started before your citrus is going to be doing a whole lot. And then when we get into a summer like this, you probably heard me talk about the compensation point, which is how much energy it takes a plant just to stay alive. Then anything above and beyond that point, it can put into making growth and the compensation point is so high right now with the the extremely high heat uh it's there's just very little left over for the plants to put into growth hopefully you get some good growth this fall things i would suggest um i think citrus likes a varied diet and while i like espoma fertilizers and they were probably the first company in the in the united states to really go big time into organics I would alternate. I don't think plants necessarily like the same diet all the time. I think liquid fertilizers are faster acting, and I would encourage you to try maybe some of the Medina Hastergrove, maybe some of the new newer Medina Liquid Fish Solution. Those are the two that I alternate frequently. 
And this, it's going to enable your citrus to store the nutrient they need to make the growth when they can. But if we consider continue to have these 100-plus degree days, no natural rainfall, plants are doing everything they can just to survive. So it's not a good thing, but I think it's a fairly natural thing that you're not seeing a lot of growth. All right. Well, that's good to know. It almost does look like the leaves are burning from the sun because this thing is in full sun. Like, mm-hmm. it's brutal in my front yard. <laughs> well, it, so. and and citrus can take it, and the yellowing of the leaves. Now, brown leaves are a different thing, but yellow leaves, you have to realize that chlorophyll, the green pigment, is broken down by sunlight. And if you have a plant that's super dark green, it's indicating it's not getting enough sun because it's building chlorophyll faster than it's being broken down. When you get a yellowed plant, then many times that means that uh, the the plant just can't keep up with the chlorophyll being broken down by the super, super bright sunlight. It will survive if you wanted to make it a little happier if you could give it a little shade i suspect this is not a very big plant to begin with where mine i'd probably put a tomato cage over it and then wrap some insulate or something like that around it not a big fan of shade cloth uh, but uh, the insulate allows plenty of light through for the plant to you know maintain good growth but at the same time it cuts down on the wind and it does very definitely reduce the intensity of the sun so uh yes i think the tree would appreciate something like that very much okay and so i have the two different weights of insulate i have the really lighter one and then the heavier one that i use during the winter should i use the lighter weight one start with the lighter weight one um, I think okay. you could probably use the heavier one, but start with the lighter weight. And be sure as soon as the uh, weather starts cooling down this fall, the sunlight becomes a little less intense, that you go, do go ahead and pull it off for the fall and winter months. And hopefully okay. we won't have uh, you know winter that requires a lot of additional protection. But uh, it, this, is just, you know, this is just a very stressful plant, a year on people and plants. And uh, a, mm. lot of, a lot of them are showing showing the effects of it but you know i can sympathize with him if i if i were standing out in that sun all afternoon which i have to do sometimes i'm pretty well you know bleached out and beaten up by the end of the day so give them all the help you can okay and so and that's even covering the top of the tomato cage the sides and the top much more much more the sides because when you think about the the arc of the sun the motion of the sun it's going to get sun on any given side for half the day uh, when you think about the sun that's coming in through the top of the tomato cage that's going to be a very brief period as the sun passes overhead nothing wrong with covering it if you want to but covering the sides of the cage is much more important and i think you're going to find that uh, an anchor of the cage i usually take a piece of rebar and press down into the soil um, and it, because you don't want your your insulate will com- create a little bit of a sail and you're not immune from high winds and believe me the the uh, all the citrus hates this drying drying wind so um that's another oh. thing the insulate does it will very definitely reduce the wind damage so plant's going to be happy in more than one way well that's that's good to know also i have a staghorn fern that was given to me and it's it had been given to me, and I I took care of it and gave it back to the owner, and then they gave it back to me because they almost <laughs> killed it. And it's 
struggling and I want to repot it. Can, and I, last time I was like in San Antonio, I bought, came in and got your orchid mix because I wanted mm-hmm. something that I knew was quality mix. Can I use that or I what's would, the best thing to? I, I, staghorn ferns are what I would call an epiphytic fern. They don't go in the ground. They grow up clinging. Actually, uh, I've not seen them growing in nature. I've been close to where they grow, you know, up close to the equator in Australia and New Zealand. But they are going to grow in little pockets where debris and detritus is collected in the crotches of trees and things like that. So they, they, they're epiphytes, but unlike orchids and bromeliads, they want a constant moisture source. So you could use the orchid mix, but uh, I would either mix some compost with it, or in this case, uh, we grow most of the staghorns with the long-fibered sphagnum moss. I do not recommend peat moss for use in the ground, and I don't like the Canadian peat, but the long-fibered sphagnum moss is one of the best things that you can incorporate in your mix that you plant the uh, uh, your staghorns in. Now, the ideal place to put a staghorn would be a really heavy-duty wire basket that you have lined with sphagnum moss mm-hmm. and then put a good soil mix inside. And what you will find, the uh, uh, the staghorn forms... What like little look like little individual plants, the flat sterile fronds, which what some people call the shield, and then the fertile fronds, which are the staghorn like growths that come out of them. And when you put it in something like uh you know, not not one of these flimsy rust out quickly wire baskets, but you'll start having new growth appear all over the outside of the basket and ultimately you'll have a plant that looks like they would look in nature that's just a solid mass of growth. Putting them in a pot where they're sort of artificially held upright is kind of a temporary stopgap measure. That's not the way a staghorn wants to grow long term. But uh, some people will mount them like on a wooden shingle or a piece of cork or something like that. That comes closest to what the staghorn does in nature. But if you do that, you're going to end up watering it two or three times a day to keep it happy. Grown in in a wire hanging basket, you know, properly planted, uh, you're only going to water every day or maybe every other day. But if you if you actually mount it on something, Saghorn would love you for it, but then it's going to be every morning, every evening, and sometimes extra water in the middle of the day, just a lot more work to maintain it. That's, yeah, that's too much. And it actually is in a wire basket, but it's like got nothing in there, but it, lo- it looks like it's lost all its, you know. Yeah, um, I would... Um, yeah, I, I would get some, go to a good nursery, and it's a, in a little short supply right now, but get some of what they call long-fibered sphagnum moss. It'll be brown in color, be stringy. I'm sure you know what it is. And that's going to be the principal thing that you want to put in the basket to let it grow into. If you want to add a little bit of the orchid mix, uh, that's fine. But quite honestly, it's going to dry. It's a very quality product for orchids and bromeliads, but it's going to dry a little bit faster than the staghorn wants to dry out. So I have some of the Nature's Creation, uh, which is a like a bark yeah. uh, compost. Should I use mi- that? Mix it half and half with uh, either the orchid okay. mix or with some long-fibered sphagnum. And is the okay. wire basket that that uh, staghorn is in, is it a kind of lightweight silvery basket or is it a really heavy-duty plastic-coated wire basket? 
Um, I think it's a wire basket. Um, she's had these. She had these a long time. She actually gave me two. One I gave back to her. That's the one she almost killed. Mm-hmm. So that's the one I'm trying to like help. The other one looks quite healthy, um, but I don't know if it. No, actually, you're right. It's plastic coated. Is yeah, it like heavy duty? Coated. Is it so strong it'd be almost impossible to bend it, or is it a lighter weight? Yes, it is, it's very heavy duty. Okay, well that's that's the best thing to, and Saghorn can probably remain in that basket for years. That's that's a good choice okay. of baskets to grow it in. Okay, great. And um, one more question, if you have time. One more question. Wash fine bore. Yes. Wash fine bore. I hear you talk about. You know, I tried that whole syringe thing. I couldn't get any any of the BT to go into the stems. It was like the the syringe didn't want to go in. Is there a certain place you get syringes? Well, you 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 want a fairly large diameter needle, the kind of needle that you that a, a physician or a veterinarian would inject penicillin with, not a little lightweight needle like you're going to do insulin or something like that. Oh, that's and, where I got from a firm who who does yeah. insulin. <laughs> yeah, no, it's you yes. need a, a much much bigger bore, so to speak. Um, because uh, it, yeah, and and the zucchini has a much more solid stem than the crooknecks and many others do. The crookneck and all that group, you can make one injection and squirt that stuff, you know, six inches up into the stem, uh, with a really thick skin or stemmed or solid stem squash like zucchini. You just have to move up and down the stem and inject it four or five different places. But I think you just got yeah. the wrong needle. Um, okay. I, I would um. and I'd ask. <laughs> There's a certain veterinarian I know that <laughs> that I I can get such things from, and I don't think it's illegal for a pharmacy to sell them. But uh, uh, again, it's not the not the little tiny needle uh, that you would give uh, insulin with. And then I had a kitty cat for years that I gave insulin to twice a day. So know all about insulin needles, but that's not what you want to use to uh, inject your uh, BT. The ratio of BT to water. I put about a teaspoon of BT in a cup of water. That's much stronger than you would use it to spray it, but uh, uh, a teaspoon, even two teaspoons, if you're really mad at the fine bores and have a big problem with them. I tried. I started my own inside and got the plants pretty big, thinking, okay, this year I'm going to get some squash. They they hit my squash before I ever get one single squash. I have yep. one butternut squash right now. And that's, but yet they've already hit that plant too. But well, plant plant a little bit of tatumi squash, what they call calabacita. Uh, the tatumi has such a small stem, uh, and it makes a good, tasty little squash. But uh, vine borers can't damage that because the stem is too narrow for them. But inject your bigger squashes, and you'll have probably more squash than you can eat. Well, I grew the tatume because you mentioned it, and actually they did get in there, but it ran so far in my yard that it just kept putting down roots everywhere. It like kind of hits kind of take over. And... Yep. Yep. Well, Cam, I've uh, I've got a bunch of people waiting, so I'll let you go now. We'll talk again, and uh, let me talk to you about the Cedar Eater of Texas and. It's just uh, that, uh, just a great company providing a great service and getting rid of that second growth cedar on your property. Best thing you can do for your land, your soil. 
you know, those cedars collect the first half inch of rain that falls in their needles, and it never even gets through to the ground underneath. Uh, they shade it so much that your native grasses can't grow, your wildflowers struggle, your native shrubs and trees have a tough time getting started. Get rid of that cedar, and the world changes for your plants and your land, and nobody does it better than the cedar eater. They have a machine that cuts the cedar off at ground level, grinds it into a nice mulch, all in one operation. Can be done 365 days a year. You certainly don't want to be bulldozing your land, and burning is absolutely out of the question when it's as dry as it is. And by that way, that cedar is dangerously flammable. You'll be protecting yourself in many ways when you let the cedar eater come in and take care of it for you. Plus, you're going to get an absolutely wonderful mulch. They've been doing it for years. They do work for the Highway Department, Parks and Wildlife, Forest Service. All the big guys know how good a job the cedar eater does, and we little guys know as well. If you've got land that's clogged with cedar, you really need to call the cedar eater. And that number is 210-745-2743, 210-745-2743 for the cedar eater of Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Uh, Deb is up next. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I was talking. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine, and she has an amaryllis. Oh, an armadillo. Okay. Armadillo. Eating plants, and I said, "Oh, I know someone who knows what to do." So. I'm calling for her. Okay. Well, armadillos don't eat plants, but armadillos eat armadillos dig things up. Uh, very, they're just so strong. And what they're doing is they're digging for grub worms and earthworms, and they're eating bugs in the soil. Is what they're eating. They're not vegetarians in any way, form, or fashion. So they can be very, very destructive in a garden. They literally plow the ground up and your plants along with it. Uh, Repelling them, probably the repellent that works best is blood meal, which is also a pretty good fertilizer. But in all honesty, I trap the armadillos and relocate them. They, uh, the armadillos are, I mean, your garden is a place you're going to be watering just to keep the plants alive. When you water, you're going to draw on the earthworms and things like that. And when the earthworms come in, you're setting up a buffet for the armadillos to come and enjoy. So uh, they... Uh, they're they're a little difficult to trap, and you do need a good strong live trap or whatever. Um, but they because you can't really bait the trap, you pretty much have to set it out and encourage them to walk into it. And the way you do that is if you've got like a a you know wall or a fence or something like that that you suspect the armadillos walk along, you set your trap against that fence. You take a board like a two by six, turn it up on edge, and set it out so that it makes like a funnel going into the trap. If it's your garden's more out in the middle of things, you can take two boards and set up in effect a a funnel shaped. Uh, arrangement. The armadillos are too stupid to try to climb over the board. When they get up to it, they will turn and start walking along the board, and there's at least a 50-50 chance they will walk into the trap and catch themselves. So it it does work. Sometimes it's frustrating, but you know, unless you uh, unless you want to shoot them or do away with them somehow like that, 
Uh, about the only answer. I mean, you can repel them with blood meal, but this is going to be an ongoing issue, especially as long as we're as dry as we are right now, because you're just in watering. You're just setting up the conditions that is going to attract the armadillo. So uh, trap and remove is, you know, is is probably the best way to go. I sometimes will actually catch them. I went out to Bass Pro a while back and got a really heavy-duty landing net. It's like a very strong plastic material, and uh, I've, I've assisted my business partner in getting rid of hers or reducing the numbers at least. She has a ground-level bird bath that the armadillos go out and climb in and roll around in to get wet and armadillos have very good hearing and very poor eyesight and I can be fairly stealthy and I'll just sneak up on them you know get them in the net turn that upside down into a metal garbage can slam the lid on it and take them 20 miles down the road to uh, a newer better home for them so you can do something like that but do not handle them animal or armadillos can carry animal leprosy not commonly but uh, there have been plenty of cases of it here in Texas so I mean, when I was a kid, I'd make a game of standing in front of them and letting them walk up to me and grabbing them by the tail. But as I got a little older and studied a little more biology, I realized that wasn't a real good idea. So uh, you can set a trap out for them, or if you know where they are and when they're likely to be out, you can, you know, like I say, get them in a net, put them in a, something solid like a trash can with a lid, because those little such-and-suches, they jump straight up two feet high. And they're 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 entertaining, but they're also very destructive. So uh, uh, she will want to. She can initially start out just trying to repel them with blood meal, but long term, she's going to want to move them elsewhere. Okay, very good. I appreciate that. Anything else I can help you with today? Well, if it's not armadillo, what what else could it be? What kind of plants are they eating? I think they're herb plants. Uh, could easily be caterpillars. We have a horrible infestation of all kinds of caterpillars. Uh, on herbs, there, there are two sorts of caterpillars. One of them is a big fuzzy black caterpillar known as a woolly bear that is basically, uh, you know, chicken food. I, they really have no redeeming qualities, and they do not make an attractive <coughs> adult moth. On things like fennel, on parsley, on rue, uh, it can be a caterpillar, and if you look carefully for them, they're absolutely beautiful. They're ringed with multicolored rings, and they develop into uh, usually a black swallowtail uh, butterfly, which is a beautiful thing. But if that's what's eating them, you would see these caterpillars if you get down and look closely. And I tend to share the herbs with them. If it, they're being eaten more at night, it probably is uh, one of the woolly bears or something like that. You can spray with uh, what we call BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. It's a stomach poison that kills caterpillars, but it's harmless to people and pets, so you can use it in your herb garden. So um, take a very, or have have your friend take a very close look at the plants. If they are the caterpillars that make the beautiful butterflies, you will see them, and they are colorful and beautiful on their own. If you're not seeing them, the damage is probably at night, probably by the caterpillars, and it's totally easily controlled with BT. The other potential culprit is squirrels. And once again, squirrels tend to go, don't tend to go after herbs so much because they tend to be a little bit more pungent. 
Uh, but squirrels will eat a lot of different plants, and once again, they just need to go live somewhere else. Okay. And the BT, what is the, is it two, two, what is the formula for that? You can actually, uh, if you like, buy it in a little sprayer all mixed and ready to go. And unless you have a whole bunch of plants, uh, that's an easier thing. If you're buying it as a liquid, it's generally about between one and two ounces per gallon of water. But chances are you only need to make up a pint or a quart. So either, you know, dilute it appropriately, don't mix up more than you plan to apply at one time, and add a little bit of molasses to it. A little bit of liquid molasses, any kind of molasses, makes it much, much more effective. But uh, nowadays, the little ready-to-use sprayers are so easy to handle. That's what most people use. And BT is one of those products that has a long shelf life. Uh, one of the original people to start packaging it was an old friend, chemist friend named Barney Grimm. Uh, Barney told me he thought it had a shelf life of about 30 years. So it's not something like neem that has to be replaced every six months. As long as you, you know, keep it at a reasonable room temperature, you know, one little sprayer is probably going to last you two or three years. Okay, very good. I appreciate that. And well, she will. She will also. Well, very good. And um, I it, it, again, if the ground just looks plowed up, you've got an armadillo or a raccoon. If stuff's just being eaten, my first guess is a caterpillar. And uh, so check it out. And if you have more questions, you know where to find me. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Bob. Have a great day. You do the same, Deb. Thank you. All right, need to pause for just a second here. Then it'll be Thomas and Megan and Lynette. I get to talk to you about Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. Once again, this is a challenging year in the landscape, in the vegetable garden, in the flower beds. And lots of folks who have not been through this before are finding it very challenging to know exactly how to care for their plants. Well, I tell you, Sam has been through it before. Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics, he's been in business like 35 years organically helping people solve problems. And he's been through the 2011 drought and the severe droughts we've had before that. He can help you know what to do to keep your landscape looking absolutely beautiful. If compost tea is one of the things he sees your landscape's needs, uh, he can certainly prepare that and apply that for you. But his biggest job is as a consultant, just to help you know what needs to be done, follow up with you, and be sure you're getting the results that you want to get from your garden. And everybody wants a beautiful garden, but... Uh, takes some work and it also takes some knowledge to understand what you're doing. Like I say, Sam, after 37, 38 years, however long it's been, this fella knows Texas landscapes, knows how to keep them healthy, knows how to correct the many problems that do sometimes occur. Uh, take a look at his website, which is Green Grow, spelled out G-R-O-W, Green Grow Organics. Take a look at all the beautiful landscapes. Take a look at the services that he offers. If you think it's for good looks good for you, We'll call them for a consultation. Be sure you understand any charges up front. But uh, we have customers in almost daily singing his praises that for all the work that he and his crews have done to help them have the prettiest landscapes in the neighborhood. He is Sam Sitterly. His business, Green Grow Organics. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and straight back to the phone lines. Thomas, Megan, Lynette, and Beverly. Thomas is up first. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I've got three uh, questions here for you. Uh, with all this heat, is it too too hot to plant beans? 
If you plant a heat-tolerant variety, such as contender or top crop, uh, you're fine to plant them now. Just be sure you'll be able to water. Be sure that you'll be able to feed them regularly. It is definitely too hot to plant the cooler varieties like Tavera, which is my favorite springtime bean. But if you're planting a summer variety, you should be doing just fine. What about Blue Lake? Blue Lake's kind of in the middle. Um, I, yeah, you can probably do okay with a bush hang blue lake. Hang on uh, your, 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 I'm sorry? You're cutting out on me. I, mean, I don't know if it's my phone or you or what. Well, I don't think it's me because I'm, I'm sitting still. Yes, sir, I hear you fine. Um, um, you must have a phone problem, Thomas. Um, I don't know. You give the, that on me. I don't know if it's my phone or what. I think it's your phone because my my setup showing that it's functioning perfectly. Uh, I'm not on a phone. I'm on a much more sophisticated unit. But um, you can. I would. I would keep looking for contender. I might call uh, David's Garden Seed. I'm pretty sure he has it. Blue Lake is sort of in the middle. It may be okay, but it is not as heat tolerant as Contender is. Okay. Another thing, uh, uh, with all this heat, I've got a lot of big oak trees in my yard back Mm -hmm. in front. Uh, What about this? This is, uh, I've never seen so many 100 degree days. I mean, is that going to affect these oak trees? I'm sure it does. I know, but uh, the the heat's not going to bother them. They've seen temperatures like this before. The drought may. Um, we aren't dry enough that I'm worried about mature oak trees yet. But uh, the heat combined with uh, inadequate soil moisture will definitely be an issue to of them. Uh, to them, you may have little dead limbs just appear throughout the trees, which is sort of a normal response. But uh, the heat's a lot harder on us than it is on those trees. But if this drought continues, we may get to the point somewhere down the road we need to try to give them some supplemental water. But when you look at the oak trees that are hundreds of years old growing around the hill country, we've had worse droughts and worse heat than this many times over those years. So don't worry too much about your trees. Okay. Another thing I've got, I've got a, a lot of uh, a sweet potato slips. Mm-hmm. And I, I overestimated my time <laughs> to fool with them, and and I'd be willing to share them with someone. I don't know how to to get the word out, you know. But I hate to waste them. I got a, I got a whole a whole lot of them. I mean, it's a, a shame to let them go to waste. Well, I would sure. I would put them into gallon containers because you could grow them for that time you know for some then that way for quite some time you could maintain them and um i just you know put a sign in your yard or i don't i'm i'm not a big internet guy but uh, i'm sure there are plenty of uh places out there you could post and say uh hey i've got some uh some sweet potato slips but just as the slips they're not going to keep but if you would pop them into gallon containers just about any good nursery has a stack of old cans around that they will give you uh but i go ahead and plant them up into pots and then just ask among family and friends and church groups and any any other people that you participate with and i think you'll pretty quickly find homes for them you know one more thing uh bob uh, when you go to uh Go to the internet uh, outfits to buy seeds. 
Well, I'm not. You gotta, if you want to buy six dollars worth of seeds, you gotta have a, a password and all this stuff, and they make it hard for you to order uh, seeds. Well, I totally agree with that. Uh, but if I mean, one of uh, for for a small for a home gardener who's not you know buying large quantities of seed. If uh, you will, if you'll get the number, and I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me, but David's Garden Seed. They're just south of San Antonio. They put up small seed packages, so you're not buying ten times as much seed as you need. And David himself will talk to you on the phone and help you make your selections. They've been doing it for a lot of years and have nothing but the very highest ratings. I I don't think you're gonna. <laughs> be looking for any passwords or any difficult website to negotiate but uh yeah get in touch with david's garden seed they are down uh, in pleasanton area but they ship thousands of packages of seeds all over the country well, and they're I've done business with him a lot of times but you know you can't even call this guy anymore they don't answer the phone well None of them keep, do. keep trying i um uh, again, he's well, the best you know, I know of. Tell him to tell him to lock up on his password business. You know, pretty <laughs> soon, Bob, he's, you don't have to have a password to buy gasoline. You know, it's well, ridiculous. As life is ridiculous these days. He's probably listening, and he's probably getting the message, Thomas. So I'm going to let you go so I can uh, get a quick break in here and move along with Megan and Lynette and Beverly. Looks like I get to talk about Fanny's Nursery. You know, I haven't talked to Mike or Mark this morning, but I bet they had a lot of fun with their top tomato contest yesterday that's Fanix is just a, a family operation has been in business on the same site for 85 years now and much more than just a nursery they're people that really love gardening really love plants and are out to help you every way they can now uh, they're happy to let you wander through the nursery but if you need help be sure to ask for it because mark mike all the staff over there are anxious to give you the assistance uh, you need if they know that you need it. And they've got right now crepe myrtles like you wouldn't believe. They've got uh, lots of, well, lots of cacti, lots of succulents, lots of house plants, lots of things like that, as well as all the garden plants that they've been known for for so long. All the organic gardening supplies you're looking for as well. Quality organic compost and mulch and fertilizer products to control problems that do show up in everybody's gardens, and the knowledge to help you solve those problems. We've got some other fun things these days, too, like the Traeger pellet grills and all the supplies, and that wonderful eco-lithium-ion battery-powered outdoor equipment. I love that stuff. It is so quiet. The battery-powered things, you can use them at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. Your neighbors don't even have any idea what they're what you're doing. It's not like getting out there with a gasoline-powered something and waking up the neighborhood. Once you've tried the newer, the really powerful battery-powered equipment like the Ego that Fanix carries, I tell you, you'll be so sold on it, you'll hardly ever want to start a gas engine again. Fanix is a great place to visit. They're open seven days a week. They're over on Home Green Road, right where they've been for about 85 years now. Check out their website, too, at Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. All right, back to gardening. Let's get right to it. And Megan is next. Good morning, Megan. Hi, how are you? Off to a good start. It's a beautiful day if a warm one out there. How can I help you? Oh, yeah. um, I have uh, some sweet, a sweet kumquat and uh-huh. uh, one of the lime trees. And I have them both in pots. And, well, I live out in the country, and uh, the wind out here, I live on a little bit of a hill, and the wind Uh is just a huge factor with this heat, I guess. Uh, It seems like they lose their blooms, lose their little 
the little bitty fruits. I go out there. The kumquat is blooming again now. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the wind and the heat that's doing that? Or I mean, I fertilized them in February, and then I fertilized them again about a month ago with the I, um, growing green, I guess. What do I need to do? Well, I would be fertilizing. I, I like using liquid fertilizer in pots much more than the dry fertilizer. I love the growing green, but and I use it in my beds and things like that, but I would be focusing on liquid fertilizer. The main thing I imagine that's keeping you from getting fruit is just lack of good pollination. We, I don't know where the bees are. Bees are in trouble, and uh, we do have native mason bees, but citrus does require an insect pollinator. Uh, otherwise, they bloom, and either the fruit or the flowers just fall off, or it makes a little pea-sized fruit, which then falls off. I would suggest you get a little bitty paintbrush, kind of a fluffy little artist paintbrush or something like that. And when they're in bloom, go out and just start dusting around inside the flowers. You don't really have to be trying to dab in any particular place and move pollen from one place to another. Just take your little brush and you brush around the center portion of those flowers. And I think if you start getting better pollination, you will very definitely get fruit. That's one of the nice things about kumquats is they can bloom any time of year. They can produce any time of year. Uh, same thing is true of your Mexican lime or key lime, as it's sometimes mm-hmm. called. Things like lemons and uh, satsumas, uh Persian limes, things like that, they only have one bloom period, which is in late winter and early spring. So if you miss your year's crop, you're pretty much waiting until next year. But on Mexican limes and satsumas, because they can bloom any time of the year, you have the potential for getting fruit. But unfortunately, when they produce, you know, when they bloom at a time like this, there are just not many bees out there to help with the pollination. Now, if there's anything you can do putting a little, uh, uh, fabric of some sort around them like the insulate or even shade cloth just to kind of reduce the wind that is just beating them up so much uh, that's going to help too but i think your lack of fruit is probably lack of pollination okay and in the liquid fertilizer alternate with the fish and the other Uh, that's what i do and it produces very very good results okay and then um uh I'm doing much better this year at keeping water on my figs. Uh, Good. I have three, but um, it, should I expect much fruit this year? I mean, does the heat and wind affect all that? I didn't have good fruit last year after the freeze and all that. If they're in well, good sun, you know, uh, figs like pretty much full sunlight. And, yes, you should get good fruit. It probably will not be as big as usual. And it may be a little slower to ripen because figs do truly ripen. But uh, I would expect that you should have, uh, do you know what variety of figs you have? I don't. They were cuttings from my dad and other places. Okay. Okay. Well, then it's probably a good fig from this area. and No reason you shouldn't get plenty of figs this summer. Okay. And um, pruning my blackberries. They're they're still in pots. I bought them last year. Mm -hmm. And it. Can you repot them any time or put them in the ground, I should say, oh, yeah. and to keep them in pots? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd put them in the ground when you can. The pruning that you do on blackberries is really pretty simple. When the blackberries bloom and produce fruit, spring and early summer, you then cut the canes back all the way to the ground that produce fruit, but you don't touch the new canes that have just come out. Each year you get fruit on the canes that grew the previous year and you want to cut out all the canes that have had fruit because they're not going to fruit again and uh it's as simple as that if you want to hang on we can talk a little more 
South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Back to gardening on a bright Sunday, June morning, Sunday morning out there. We're going to talk to Megan. Let's see. No, we talked to Megan, I believe, uh, Beverly. Oh, Megan's still holding. Okay, so we will talk to Megan, and then it'll be Lynette and uh, Beverly, and we'll move right along. Good morning again, Megan. Yes, thank you. Uh, while I was waiting, I went outside and looked at my blackberries. So these are very small plants from this first year. It looks uh-huh. like some new growth is coming off of the old cane. Did, do I just cut it all down because it's a small plant? I think all of them produced a little bit of fruit. I would try to cut off uh, the outer portions, you know, the area where the fruit was. Um, okay. Normally, the new canes are going to come out at ground level, but since these are in uh, pots, um, you may not be getting as much of that. But blackberries produce underground runners. i go ahead and get them in the ground as soon as you can. Just try to cut off the portions of the canes that have produced because those canes are going to die back. It's easier to do it before the new growth. I, I mean, you're dealing with, thorny plants that uh, will sure uh, poke holes in you. They'll just put it that way. But it's okay. it's worth it for the fruit you get, but it's usually a bloodletting experience in my garden. Yeah. But uh, uh, just do the best you can to cut out okay. any canes that have produced. Fertilized water, they'll continue to produce new canes and hopefully give you a really bountiful crop next year. Okay. Um, and uh, back to the citrus, I forgot. I want to keep these in pots. What is the largest pot? What's the size pot I should eventually shoot for? These are just a, about three-year-old plants right now. Well, ultimately, you'll probably want to go to about a whiskey barrel size container, which, you know, that's a size you can move with a little dolly or, you know, a, a one of the things you put underneath them. But you don't want to put a very small plant in a great big container. You do want to move them up gradually. And so, but ultimately, about the biggest one you can probably manage well is going to be uh, whiskey barrel size, and you can grow lots of fruit in a container that size. Well, about how many gallon size is that? About I a mean, 30 gallon. A whiskey barrel? I'm sorry, what was it? About a 30 gallon size container. Okay. Okay. And one last question. Uh, I have some. Uh, there's a lot of snakes, so most of my plants are in pots on a big porch that I have. Um, uh-huh. The pill bugs, I'm pretty sure it's the pill bugs that are loosening the soil when I water. You know, the soil just runs out, and, of course, you uh-huh. can't get it watered very well. Can I use diatomaceous earth sprinkled on top to kind of deal with pill bugs, or what do you have for a recommendation? You can. It, it probably is, um, but there's a better product out there, which is called Sluggo, S-L-U-G-G-O, Sluggo Plus. Uh, it is an attractant. You don't have to put it everywhere because it will draw the pill bugs to it. Uh, it is, uh, and it takes care of snails and slugs at the same time, and it's very safe for people and pets. So Sluggo Plus is what I would use for the pill bugs. Do I and sprinkle you just that sprinkle- on top of the soil of the pot? Sprinkle a little bit on top of the soil and also sprinkle some of it around the base of the pot. Okay. Well, I, oh, I, my desert roses, I've had them for several years. I'm still learning. They are sitting on in clay pots out at the end of my sidewalk in full sun. Should they not be sitting on the sidewalk where we're getting, I mean, I know they like heat, but. Mm-hmm. How, how do the plants look? Well, they look pretty good. I did have a problem with a few of the the blooms didn't want to seem to open, and a couple of them fell off, and some are blooming. And I mean, leaf-wise, they look 
Good. Well, they're they're happy where they are. If you could give them a little partial shade, the blooms would probably open better and last longer. But uh, uh, these yeah. are a plant that's used to sun, African sun, that's hotter and brighter than even what we have in Texas. So they're they're not going to suffer, but the the blooms are not going to last as long. If you can move them, or if you can arrange just a little bit of shade for them, maybe thirty percent shade. Uh, the blooms will open better and last longer for you, but uh, don't okay. uh, you know? Don't don't feel like it's something you have to do because the plants are the plants are happy where they are. It sounds like you're doing a good job of watering and fertilizing as well. So, how often do I fertilize desert roses? Uh, if you're using a good liquid product, I do it every two or three weeks. Now, you can slow down in the winter months when the light is not as intense. But uh, yeah, as long as the plants are growing and blooming actively, they need nutrition to do that. So, in general, every two to three weeks is what I'd recommend. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your help. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Megan. Goodbye. Uh, Lynette is next in line. Good morning, Lynette. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I, made, I made a mistake with my tomato plants, and I'm hoping that you can you can help me. Um, <laughs> Well, it's it, it's kind of funny, but it's really not. I I purchased some yellow uh, lemon, kind of like lemon tomato plants, uh-huh. and uh, on Mother's Day it was on my Mother's Day present to myself, and they grew beautifully for a month. Uh, they went from little baby plants to probably two and a half feet tall in, in a month, and then I moved, and I moved from San Antonio out here to Presidio, Texas. Do you know Presidio? Okay. I know Presidio and Onaga. I've eaten in the train station there. I've not ridden the Copper Canyon train, but uh, yes, I spent parts of three summers in a wildlife management area out there. And you're tired of San Antonio people complaining about heat because you don't know what heat is until you get to Presidio. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. But the mistake I made was not moving out here. The mistake I made was transporting my plants the way I did. I I Mm -hmm. brought a fifth wheel out here, and I put my plants in the back of my truck, and I thought the fifth wheel head would protect them while we were moving out here. And unfortunately, it was like putting my tomato plants in a Category 2 hurricane with dry wind. And so when I got here, they were pretty much nothing but stalks. And so... I've kept them in the pots that they're in. The tomato plants are in plastic pots. How and big? uh um they're uh pretty large. Pretty I've got four in each. Uh okay. I, I've got four in each. Uh maybe twenty gallon. Okay. And um and so I took all the leaves off and the stalks were brown because they had been beaten up so bad, but the stalks are now turning green. But I'm wondering are they do you think they're gonna come back? Hard to say without seeing them. I probably would cut them back maybe halfway. I suspect that they will come back out. Now, large-fruited tomatoes are not going to give you any fruit until fall anyway. Cherry tomatoes, uh, they could start producing again very, very quickly. But I, I would, if they were mine, I would cut them back about halfway. Be careful that you don't keep the soil too wet. Because the way place water goes, it doesn't evaporate. It's taken up by the plants and lost out through the leaves of the plants. And since your plants have no (laughs) number of leaves right now, uh, they're not going to dry out nearly as quickly. So, uh, you know, keep the soil moist, but only water again when that soil is dry a good knuckle deep. And go ahead and put some fertilizer. Go ahead and put some Super Thrive. Put some Garrett juice on them. 
and um, I'd say you've got a pretty good chance they're they're going to come back out and do well for you this fall. Okay, well that that's good. I'll definitely cut them back more. I do see a little bit of new growth, at, like tiny little growth at the very bottom. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So that's interesting. Um, all right, my um, my other question was out here in this uh, in this RV park that I'm at. There are four what I believe are Arizona cypress trees. Okay. Uh-huh. And one of them, so one of the four is doing fantastic, and then there's there's the others are showing some signs of, of um, rotting, or not not rotting, but there's parts of the branches that are turning yellow, and then there's one that the, the leaves are turning yellow, and then there's entire sections that are dead. They're, they mm-hmm. go all the way up to the top. And at first I thought, well, drought, but since one of them is doing well, could it be a, a canker or a fungus? Because one of them, I do notice there's like some sap or resin that's coming out of the branch. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what it could be that's killing it. Well, Arizona cypress is a tree that is, is just not a pretty tree and it's susceptible to many problems, I suspect. Uh, they have insect problems, most likely. Uh, they have bad spider mite infestation, which is very common when you have low humidity and high temperatures. I, when plants are getting too dry, and they're also probably suffering from not getting enough water, they become susceptible to just every insect and every little problem and disease that comes along. So I think that what you're seeing is symptoms but if you're going to do anything about it, or if the whoever you know is responsible is going to do anything about it, you have to go back to the cause of the problem. And the best thing you can do is regular water, uh, fertilizer, and again, probably a little bit of Super Thriver and or Garrett juice on those. Uh, spray with something like liquid seaweed to try to control uh, the mites and other insects that just really get after plants when they're stressed. Uh, spray with liquid seaweed, maybe spray with a little bit of garret juice. They're never going to make really pretty plants, but they are going to make a big windbreak, which is why most people plant them, and they should mm-hmm. improve. But um, Arizona cypress is just never going to win a beauty contest. Well, and, and they're not. Uh, they've been here for about 20 years, and there's uh-huh. other trees on property, and I think what we're trying to decide is there's some great-looking pines. The pines are beautiful, and they do well. Uh, they're not diseased at all. There's a few cottonwoods, and we're trying to just figure out what are some other trees that we could put that would provide some shade for, you know, the people that reside out here. Well, believe it or not, you can grow the, you know, common Arizona trash or Arizona ash, as it's more properly called. If you have adequate water, Mexican sycamore will do well. If you want a long-term tree that actually grows fairly quickly, look at what they call Montezuma cypress. That tree is going to live 2,000 years if it gets any care at all, uh, and it is resistant to so many of the problems. But uh, don't don't plant more than can be adequately maintained. But all the ones you mentioned are, you know, fairly fairly good West Texas trees. And look around, and you've already named off uh, the ones that you see most commonly. But to that list, I would certainly add Montezuma cypress and. If you're just looking for fast growth, uh, you could you could plant something like uh, uh, Mexican sycamore or Arizona ash, knowing that probably one of these days you'll wind up cutting them down to let the more long-life plants take over. Okay, that's good to know. We do have a drip system out here. So once uh-huh. a week, that drip system 
does get at the base of the tree. So that that's that's a consistent, regular uh, routine. For how long? Um, uh, the whole day or most of the day, uh, but okay. it's once a week. Because they, uh, they, they, it would have to run for hours and hours to give those trees the water they need. But if the trees are doing well, then it tells you at this point they're getting what they need. But keep in mind that those trees are going to grow. They're going to put on more leaves. The water demand is going to be increasing. So okay. it, you may have to be watered longer or more often or may have to provide some you know, extra emitters. But uh, it's a real good start, that's for sure. Okay, well, I, I appreciate that. I'm getting used to this desert life out here and what's going to grow. <laughs> and well, tell me, the farmers out here tell me that they grow a lot of they grow a lot of produce. So I, I have oh, to yeah. just work and, at and it. <laughs> I hope your experience is is what mine always was when I was spending time out there. Some of the best people you will ever meet out there. When you're when you're out in the middle of nowhere like that, you can't afford to have enemies. So everybody tends to really help their neighbors and it's just it's it's a wonderful community spirit that uh this country sadly lacking. So uh I hope you find yes, West sir. Texas to be as hospitable as uh I did. I, I still have friends from out in that area, and they're just absolutely wonderful people. So enjoy your time out there and call when we can help. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you so much, Bob. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, and goodbye. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Beverly and Jill and Joyce. Beverly's next. Good morning, Beverly. Good morning. How are you today? Off to a good start, sitting here looking out at a beautiful garden and a pretty day. And, uh, oh, you're looking forward to getting out in it and sweating, <laughs> which we'll be doing already... a lot of today. <laughs> yeah, I'm preparing myself for this heat, too. Um, so I'm not into gardening, but I started this year, and I'm kind of going crazy with it. Oh, that's um, a good thing. I have... <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Um, so I have about 15... Um, Crookneck squashes that are about three inches tall. I was going to put them in the ground today. Okay. Uh, um, I didn't know how far apart to put them because I I have some summer squash that, like, the two plants I have took up about 10 feet. Okay. Um, Well, crookneck are a summer squash, and there are two ways to plant them. If you want to plant them in a row, I'd probably put them about between two and three feet apart. The way that I grow them is I'll create like a mound and put three or four plants per mound, and then my my individual mounds are about six or eight feet apart. And that way I feel like I'm getting more squash in a smaller area, but it's still manageable. And okay. uh, that's that's what I do pretty much with all the squash. Now, be aware that crooknecks uh, are one of those squash that can have a serious problem with the squash vine borers. So they are one species that are one variety, I guess I should say, that I do inject them with the BT when they get, when the individual vines get no, you know, maybe uh, 18, well, 12 to 18 inches long because uh, the squash vine borers, just one day you'll have beautiful squash and the next day it'll just look like it melted. So, um, mm. I, I would, and, and the the way, the only way I've really found to stop them, and I've tried every home remedy in the world, but um, I, I will take just, a, and I'm comfortable with syringes. I'm an oil research biologist by training, but uh, if you're comfortable with the syringe, that's fine. If not, get one of these uh, things that the grocery store people use to inject turkeys and chickens and things when they're going to put them on the grill. 
you mix up a fairly strong uh, batch of BT. I put one to two teaspoons per cup of water. And then I just okay. inject that into the stems. And crooknecks have a pretty much a hollow stem, so it's real easy to do. But that's uh, okay. that's one the only thing I found that really swa- stops the squash vine. So how about and, how old? I mean, about when would I do that? Like, am when, I gonna, when the I, yeah when when the individual vines are maybe twelve inches, somewhere between twelve and eighteen inches long, when they have okay oh let's say four or five good true leaves on them, and and you inject. Really, the first six inches of the vine, because that's where the vine borer moth is going to lay its eggs, and that's where it's going to tunnel its way into the plant. Okay, because I was looking at the the other squash that I plant. I don't even. I do. I just somebody gave me a bunch of seeds. So anyway, <laughs> they're, um, they're, they're well they're big and green, and and um, they look more like zucchini. Like they look like a small watermelon is what they look like. But okay. The, bottoms of those like at the root where they, they've been growing it it's kind of turning white mm-hmm. it's not getting um, the bottom of the squash doesn't doesn't get sunlight so that's a perfectly normal thing uh, oh, unfortunately okay. it also makes it easy for pill bugs and things to start chewing on them from the bottom up yeah i have uh, pill bugs i i need if to get you those. if you want to have prettier squash Take some little bitty scraps of wood, you know, a little thing that's two inches by six inches long or something like that, and just put under them. Just raise them up off the ground so they get air circulation around them. Okay. You'll have prettier squash, and you'll find that the insects are easier to control. Okay, and would that work the same with my cantaloupe? Because I've got absolutely all over the place. Absolutely. Okay. That's a very good idea with cantaloupe. Okay. Um, and one more question. Um, I have a sure. I have two pomegranate trees, uh-huh. and they've been in the ground for I don't know six or eight years. And used like last year, we got a couple of pieces of fruit, but they were just it was real bitter. And uh-huh. this year, it's just one of them is just blooming like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I read that they wouldn't be ready till like October. Oh, no, they'll be ready a lot sooner than that. But I'll tell you, probably 95% of the pomegranate bushes that are sold are what we call ornamental. Beautiful flowers, but they have been bred to make more flowers and no fruit. They've actually bred them to where the flowers don't even have reproductive parts. So if they're not making a lot of fruit, it probably is the variety of pomegranate and not anything that you are failing to do. If you like pomegranates and want to grow them, you're probably going to need to buy some pomegranates that look the same but that are specifically for production. About the best variety out there is called Wonderful. It's an old variety, okay. but it's very productive. But uh, don't don't be frustrated when these things bloom like mad and you're not getting much fruit. Uh, they just were hybridized to make bigger, mm. prettier flowers at the expense of not producing uh, much fruit. fruit. So, That's yeah. just not, I don't like that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. The, one of them is just, it gets a lot of sun and it's just doing great. Oh, yeah. And um, I... I thought that they would be harder to i haven't really done anything to i just water it yep. basically turn it trimmed it out when we got that freeze but anyway well i i mean i could talk to you all day i have some st john's wort are you familiar with that one uh hypericum yes certainly it's a flowering plant uh, actually you know it's a it's a plant that it has medicinal purposes as well but uh it's a beautiful low perennial plant it's going to grow about 12 18 inches tall perfect place would be sun in the morning shade in the afternoon and in the spring, it will reward you with some absolutely gorgeous yellow flowers. 
Okay, and it's got little brown leaves at the bottom of it, and I've been putting some kind of seven dust on it, and it's oh, getting no, better. Don't, don't, don't be using nope. seven dust. No, it's too oh. hard on your beneficial insects, and uh, it's pretty hard on your body as well. So that's not really? one I would recommend. Hypericum okay. is just, uh, it's marginal here, and if it's older leaves that are brown, I wouldn't be at all concerned. Okay, because, yeah, the new growth is all bright, pretty green. Yeah, yeah. No, don't worry about okay. a few old leaves, and don't don't be putting poisons around. You don't need to. Okay, I appreciate the call. Are, are you are you here in San you here in San Antonio, Beverly? I'm in New Braunfels. In New Braunfels, if you ever happen to come to San Antonio, I, you can probably do the same thing at Fanix Nursery. Uh, we are Shades of Green. Have a have prepared a handout that will tell you the best time for planting all your different vegetable crops in both spring and fall and uh love to give you okay, one if you're good. ever over this way just stick your head in and say i want the vegetable handout that bob told me about yeah i was telling somebody i was telling my dentist i said i've got some um lettuce growing and he he's looking at me he's like that's growing and i was like yeah and I, he was like um what else are you growing anyway what are, something i told him that i was growing it was like totally the wrong time of year he's like why are you mm-hmm. growing that? <laughs> <laughs> well, and unfortunately, your lettuce is going to be bitter and won't do well as it stays hot. But uh, yeah. you will enjoy gardening. Just remember that it's a mixture of successes and failures. And uh, like the bumper sticker I saw the other day said, uh, gardening is cheaper than therapy and you get tomatoes. Hey, I, honestly, that's how I got into this. I was going through like a situational depression and I, um, <laughs> I said, I got to do something. So I'm out well, in my yard every day, and it's healthy. Well, I love it. That's, that's <laughs> good for your health, mental and physical. So you exactly. call anytime when you help, Beverly. It's always good to hear from I you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Back to gardening on a nice uh, Sunday morning out there. Kind of typical for this, you know, this time of uh this time of year, it just seems like it's starting early, and I uh, don't look forward to the fact that we've probably got about three months of this sort of weather left. But do a rain dance, maybe things uh, will turn around and cool us off just a little bit. Uh, looks like it's going to be Jill and Joyce and Robin and Scott. Jill is up first. Good morning, Jill. Uh, hey, good morning, Bob. Uh, good morning. I recently moved, moved up here to the south of the Metroplex by 30 miles to Midlothian with uh, you know, be closer to family and such. So you're just a normal Sunday morning. <laughs> that I like to listen to. <laughs> well, I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> I, I know how we're close by, but you're. you're I was going to say so. you're 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 a little a little closer to him than to me, but you know, if you work it out right, we we can both help you. <laughs> I I I'm in a new build house, and so I'm seeing a few spiders. I assume they're brown recluse. I just step on them and go on my way, but. I'm having pest control after pest control come by and want to take care of them. I know there's bound to be an organic way to do it. Could you help me with that? Well, you know, spiders are insect eaters, and really the best way to get rid of spiders is just do away with their food supply. And it's it's a matter of and, – and it's not likely, really, that you're seeing brown recluse. They're – probably 10,000 garden spiders for every one brown recluse that is out there. But I don't, things that you can do, you can put out things like the sticky traps uh, that they make for rats and mice. They also Mm -hmm. will trap and get rid of lots of spiders. But um, in in my house, I just, you know, and I'm, I'm not the world's greatest housekeeper, 
but vacuum frequently, do everything you can to, uh, you know, use put a little diatomaceous earth underneath the stove and the refrigerator. It's not something you want to vacuum up a lot of, but work hard at just keeping your house as pest-free as possible, and the spiders will starve or go away. If uh, If you've got a healthy bunch of spiders, probably, you know, they moved in while the house was being built, and there were all sorts of creepy crawlies running around that would make a good dinner for a spider but spiders will become uh, you in many many ways you sometimes make the problem worse trying to spray all sorts of insecticides because you're you're controlling the natural enemies of these bugs and mother nature will hit a balance and you'll i mean i still get a garden spider in the in the kitchen every now and then and that's going to happen as long as you've got a healthy landscape you don't want to live in a chemical toxic zone but right, focus right. more focus more on just keeping that house clean and free of all the pests you can't both you know large okay. and small um don't leave pet food out don't leave uh don't leave things out that would be attractive to you know, smaller insects and things like that, and spiders will become much less of a problem without a whole lot of effort from yourself. Yeah, yeah, I had someone come and wanted to do pyrethrum all the way around, and I said, no, thank you. So because no. I have a – I did bring my Miho Satsuma up here because I assumed it could take the little bit colder temperatures than down in Seguin. Of course, I had to sure. give away my lemon tree, but, but you know, and it's putting on fruit again now, so I didn't want to harm anything I do absolutely. have. Absolutely, absolutely. No, so, and, and so. you're going to find that gardening is going to be very similar there to what it was in Seguin, but you're, well, I guess in Seguin, too, you could dig a hole. At least uh, at least you have right. good soil. You tend to have soil that if you add water and nutrition to it, you can grow just about anything you want to grow. Midlothian's, uh, you know, big agricultural yeah, yeah. area. So uh, yeah. you, you've, you're in a very good they... place to be for a gardener. Unfortunately, they put Bermuda grass in all the lawns, so I'm dealing with the same problem I had down there, and it's like trying to get rid of this to do make any kind of beds or anything. So, well, and I know I, I guess re- solarizing it. Is still I was just going to say, weather like this, solarizing is a perfect way to go. Just wet the soil thoroughly first, and uh, this is the ideal time of year to clear out grassy areas to create more beds and things. So, uh, do solarize everywhere you possibly can when you create your beds. I tend to just leave a you know an area around either with weed block or plastic, both of which I don't like, but I keep just sort of a buffer around my garden as a whole just to keep the Bermuda from invading back into it, and it really works pretty well. Okay. 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 So, okay, well, that was all I had because I knew pyrethrins weren't the way to go, so I just wanted to see if there's any other remedies on Well, that's... Like I said, if I see one in the house, I just step on it. So, I well, mean, you know, it's a big deal to me. So. Right. But, uh, you know, glue traps and things like that are the other thing that we'll get most of them, but I only recommend inside. Outside, they catch too many of your lizards and little creatures that you want to have around. But inside, if you have right. an issue, just under in the cabinet somewhere down that you're not going to get into them, just put out a sticky trap, and you'll you'll collect any of them that would become a problem to you. And uh, you okay. enjoy, and uh, sorry to lose you from this area, but you're not so far away we can't talk. So call anytime we no. help you. Okay. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome, Jill. Thank you very much, and goodbye. Okay, let's uh, talk next to Joyce. Good morning, Joyce. Good morning, Bob. Well, I good morning to you. you. I trust that you and your little fuzzy family, our are, are health issues are, are okay. 
Well, there we're moving along. The miracle worker, Dr. Kirby, uh, has pulled Maya through a, uh, a an, an episode, shall we say, that I don't think any other veterinarian in San Antonio would have even tackled. But uh, everybody's doing well at this point. Thank you for asking. And they're uh, they're all just kind of turned into big black slugs and. This weather, <laughs> they they they're they're into energy conservation. I guess is what my what That's Hannah true. told me is that uh, they're doing their part to conserve energy. So yeah, they're doing great. Well, you had mentioned that little, an episode, and so I was hoping everything was doing well. Good, it is. It's getting All better right. by the day. She's uh, her her numbers are are looking good, and uh, I'll save the detail the, the explanation for when we get together sometime. Right. Right, absolutely. Uh, my question is, my next-door neighbor went to visit family in Hawaii and brought me back this little bag with three bulbs. <laughs> I'm here from the tourist store, but anyway. Uh-huh. It, they, uh, the picture on the bag is that of a crinum. All it says is tropical spider lily, and they look like little tiny potatoes with a green sprout. Right. Plant them. There, there are many different kinds of crinums. Most all of them will do very well uh, in San Antonio, and it may take them a year to get up to be big enough to bloom. If you want to grow them in pots, I probably would start like in a 10-inch pot or something like that. If you have a spot that gets like half-day morning, well, if it gets morning sun, afternoon shade, that would be the perfect place to put them in the ground. But Crinums, there are many, many, many varieties. They're borderline cold-hardy. They would have suffered damage in the big hard freeze of 2021, but most years, especially if you mulch them, they'll come back. We've got some big crinums growing here at the nursery, and we just, you know, again, mulch those heavily. And even in the 2021 deep freeze, uh, they've come back out beautifully. So these are going to be not a bad thing for them to have brought you. I'm glad they didn't bring you a little orchid that's four four years away from blooming. But uh, I was going to guess plumeria because that's the most common thing that every tourist comes back with. But crinums are, are if they're they're not a bad choice. That that's about the best thing they could have brought you, I think, other than some fresh pineapple. Well, I got the I got the plumeria too. It says apricot. That's all it says. It says <laughs> plant in soil, water. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. I I can do that one. So. And it wants okay. lots and lots of sun. But uh, the crinums, morning sun, afternoon shade is going to be where they're happiest. Okay. All righty. Uh, the next question is an elephant ear. I had elephant ears for many, many years, and I'm pretty sure they're the colocasia kind because they didn't grow up, and it's a round bulb. Right. And I lost the big one, uh, not this year, but last year, but it had a number of little ones around it, and mm-hmm. so I now have three pots of little caladium-sized <laughs> elephant ears. And what, what really area do they prefer? Well, they will take as much sun as you want to give them. Once again, I think morning sun, afternoon shade would make them happiest, but um, they're extremely easy. I think the colocaceas are they're much more cold-hardy than the alocaceas. So just uh, morning sun, plenty of water, fertilize them every two, three weeks, and first thing you know, they'll go from being uh, little elephant ears to big elephant ears so i think you'll do fine with them uh just be sure as you always do in keeping them well watered and fed uh when they get stressed they are susceptible to spider mites but when they're vigorous and growing well they should not have many issues at all 
Okay. Uh, one quick question back uh, to the crinum. Because the bulbs are about walnut size, should I keep them in a pot maybe for a year and then plant them out, or, or can they go out now? Because I'm trying to get away from pots as much as I can because I still have lots of pots. <laughs> plant them wherever they're going to be easiest for you to maintain. Uh, the bulbs okay. don't really care, and just wherever you're going to be most easily able to keep them fed and watered and checked on, so to speak, uh, either 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 way, they'll grow well in the ground, they'll grow well in pots, whichever works for you. Okay, and the last question, I was so happy when you said beans could be grown in large containers, so I did that. My seed was old and I didn't have any inoculants, so I wasn't too surprised that I didn't get a big germination, but I got three nice plants, which are now full of blooms, but they're not blooms. They don't open, and they certainly aren't forming any bean but you know they're full of these things but they seem like they never quite make it into a flower is that just from an old seed or or what do you think might be going on? well bean flowers are very different from most other flowers they never really open per se they're always sort of a closed flower that and they do need pollination from from bees or insects and uh, it's kind of fun to watch how a bee manipulates its way inside and gets sort of swallowed up by the bloom but um, uh, be patient with them they should bloom they should produce but they will need insect pollination but I think you're they're just a different flower than you're used to seeing it's totally different shaped flower well, it may be that, but it's probably bees. There are none. So, uh-huh. okay, um, that's, that's I think, my biggest problem. You get and your little you paintbrush ever... and dust around the inside. You, you kind of It's kind of like a snapdragon. You kind of have to manipulate around in there to uh, uh, reach all the parts you need to, but you certainly should be able to hand pollinate them. But they never seem to actually get far enough to actually look like any kind of a flower. I mean, they just stay a little closed, whitish, I'm going to be a bud in a week, and they never go past that. Well, water a little bit more frequently. It's hard to overwater beans, and um, okay. I, things things should improve. Okay. Thank you so very much, Bob. I appreciate all the time you take in helping folks get through these things. Thank you so much. You know, it's a great pleasure, Joyce, and it's good to hear your voice. We'll talk again. Thank you. And we do have something fun to tell you about, so look forward to our next visit. Um, Let me talk to you a little bit about Rhonda's Nature's Way. And one thing that I always want to emphasize, one of the products that I think everyone who works outside would benefit from getting from Rhonda, and that is this product called Ultima. I've already had one glass of it this morning already. It's a powder, comes in small packets, added to about 8 ounces of water, It is a great electrolyte solution for you, and if you're working outside, you're sweating, you need to replace the liquid, and you need to replace the electrolytes, I choose not to use those sports drinks with all the sugar in them because uh, we've all got too much sugar in our diets, most likely. But Ultima uh, is all the electrolytes without the sugar, and it does taste good. About six different flavors, my favorite being raspberry. But uh, one of many things that Rhonda has, when you're over there, check out all the wonderful supplements. The quality she has is so much better than anything you're going to find in a drugstore, a chain drugstore, or a, a grocery store. One of our employees was just bragging me the other day. He said, I was having real pain issues with arthritis. He told me what Ron did recommend to him. And he said, my pain went away, and it has not come back. It's just people who think 
are discovering there are many natural solutions to some fairly complex problems out there. And when you're looking for results and want to do it naturally, let me tell you, Rhonda and her staff will be the coach you need to really get things going well for yourself. Rhonda's Nature's Way, gosh, they've been around over 40 years now. Southside stores on Southwest Military, Northside stores there in the center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan. And if you're dieting, let me tell you, she's got some absolutely delicious, sweet things for you to try with virtually no sugar in them. Uh, and natural things without any artificial sweeteners either. Usually mock, mock fruit is used as a sweetener. I've been trying a couple of bags of those keto nuts. I, you just have to try them to believe how good they are. Rhonda's Nature's Way is a wonderful place to visit. She's closed on Sundays, open every other day. Ask her about the red light therapy and the beamer therapy and the reflexology, all the many things they do. And by the way, she's still looking for some part-time help. So if you want to learn and get paid for learning, it'd be a great place to, to put in a few hours. That's Rhonda's Nature's Way. All right, let's get back to gardening once again. It looks like it's going to be Robin and Scott and Patrick and Amber. Robin is up next. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Share, share the good news about my uh, black swallowtail butterfly. Oh, good. I had to you about, uh, oh, maybe two weeks ago that I had a chrysalis. Uh -huh. And it hatched out after 11 days. And uh, I ha we released it this morning, and I was just so happy to do that because I lost, like, <laughs> three other caterpillars to the birds, I think. Well, and birds and wasps. The, the wasps are the other thing that get after them. And, uh, but, uh, they're, you know, fortunately, the swallowtails lay a lot of eggs, and you obviously have one of their good larval host plants. So uh, that, that's a very good thing. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, it, uh, it had laid the eggs on my Myers lemon, but uh -huh. my Myers lemon's not doing that well. It's dropping lemons, and the lemons are larger than golf balls. So um, I guess I have the same problem I had last year. They aren't pollinated enough. No, if they get that big, they've been pollinated. At some point, they've probably gotten a little dry, but when it's as hot as it is, uh, they're simply not going to get as big as they usually do. So... Um, I'd be real careful that when you water that you have really saturated the entire pot really thoroughly. And um, I, I think they've probably just gotten a little too dry at some point. But, no, if they get up that big, they're definitely pollinated. And uh, uh, it probably is also just partly the heat. Um, it's it, Things are just stressed. Okay. And also they were the birds were getting them and scratching on them uh -huh. with their beaks. And could right. that have knocked them off too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That most yeah. definitely will do that. Yeah. Uh, you can get some, uh, well, they actually call it bird netting that you can put over the trees. It's just kind of like an old-fashioned hair net, but in a, a big piece that you can just drape over if the birds get to be a real problem. And there are some things, there's something they call scare tape that uh, is a kind of an iridescent tape you can hang up that will help keep the birds away. There are various things you can do to uh, keep the birds away. But, no, they, they love the the, lim the uh, lemons and limes both. Yes, and, you know, I did that uh, with the bird net, and, and mm -hmm. uh, they still got it. Well, one still <laughs> fell off, so that's why, that's yeah. why I was wondering, how did he get that? You know, how did they get that and make it fall off? But 
maybe it was going to fall off anyway like the first one did well, because of what you and said. Well, the dry. other thing that happens, uh, mice will get in and nibble on the rind on the skin of the lemon as well. Uh, they're mostly active at night when you don't see them, and uh, they can be very devastating to your to your fruit crop as well. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay, okay. Next um, comment is my neem oil. I was looking for an expiration date on it mm-hmm. because you had said it does not last. There's no right. expiration date. No, no, they Which don't. Very- and you know, uh, what it's the expiration period is not really from the date it was bottled, but from the date you open it. So what you need to do is when you open a bottle of neem, just take your uh, your Sharpie or whatever and note the date on there and then figure that you've got about six months to use it up. It's, okay, and uh, it, it's a spray it's a spray bottle. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when when you first that. when you first start using it, uh, that's when you're gonna have oxygen start getting down into when you turn that little nozzle up on top so you can spray, mm-hmm. that's when mm-hmm. You know that's when the clock starts ticking, so to speak. So it, it's not a matter of when it's when it's bottled or manufactured. It's a matter of when it starts being exposed to the air. Okay. Well, mine's probably no good. <laughs> well, about, about six months. Yeah. I, it's the reason that I have largely switched to spinosad soap rather than using as much neem. Because the spinosad soap just has a much longer shelf life. It's less prone to burn in the heat. And uh, it, it seems to effectively control just about everything that the uh, that the neem controls as well. So uh, if you're buying more, I'd I'd switch over to the spinosad soap. I think you'll find it more useful and much longer lasting. Okay, great. My sweet potato in my garden. I thought I had cleaned up the garden really well. Mm-hmm. Well, it came back. It came back <laughs> anyway, uh-huh. and it's better looking than it was last year. I can't believe it. Well, you're so just you're growing some, some. Yeah, you should get some yeah. tubers underneath. If you if you miss them in the fall, um, then frequently they will sprout again the next spring. And sometimes you know they can spread just anywhere in the garden. Sometimes they form that tuber several feet away from the you know where the vine came out of the ground. So it's easy to overlook a couple of them, and <laughs> then they'll then they'll give you some uh, some sweet potatoes the next year as well. Well, that that was uh, that was good news. That was exciting. Absolutely. And my last my last question is: I was at the um, botanical garden plant sale yesterday morning. Uh-huh. And I got some salvias, and it, I'm I'm going to have to hold you there, Robin. We'll talk about salvias right after the news. South Texas gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. Two one zero five nine nine fifty five fifty five. All right, back to the final hour of gardening today. Dr. Kirby will be along in about an hour, and we'll have an hour of pet health to enjoy visiting about. So uh, hope you'll stay with us right now. Uh, uh, Chris, did Robin hold on? Okay, then uh, let's go back. Robin, and then it's going to be Scott and Patrick and Amber. Good morning once again, Robin. Good morning, Bob. So what, what, kind, of salvia did, what kind of salvia yeah. did you get at the well, plant sale? I got a, a Gregory, oh, let's see. They're um, an autumn sage salvia gregii, mm-hmm. neon pink, and a flame anisacanthus. Anisacanthus, uh-huh. Anisacanthus, ah, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of uh, salvia 
is it Cochina? Cochina? C-O-C-C-I-N-E-A. Coccinia, tropical sage. Coccinia, coccinia, okay. okay. Yeah, and I'm just, I, I know I've, I've got to get them in the ground because we're leaving for a couple months. And, okay. Um, well, be sure somebody's I, available the water. <laughs> the this, uh, yeah. Salvia gregii wants super bright sunlight, hottest, brightest place that you can put it. It will be an evergreen perennial. The Salvia coccinia is going to want a little bit more shade. It will tolerate some, but it, it is happiest in a shady area. It will bloom all summer also. Uh, freeze down in the winter, normally come back out. It will also typically make some seed. It may, may come up all over the place, but it's a very a very good thing to have spread. Um, your anisacanthus is, uh, it's a, again, a beautiful perennial. It's going to freeze back in the cold winter. The anisacanthus is one that can become a pest. I mean, it will sprout up everywhere, so put it where it has some room to grow, and if you start finding little plants of it sprouting up everywhere, dig them up, pot them, give them to friends. But um, the uh, the anisocanthus is the one that may get bigger than you really want it to, and you just have to, like I say, dig it up where it spreads too much. But uh, uh, the anisocanthus and the salvia gregii both want really sunny spots. The coccinia mm-hmm. wants to grow in a more shady spot, but they're all great perennials and all do extremely well in San Antonio. Okay, thank you for that tip, and thank you so much for all your knowledge that you share. Just love it. Thank you so well, much. Have a great my week. pleasure, Robin. <laughs> you do the same, and thank okay. you. And uh, next up is Scott. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, sir. Um, Good morning. Recently, you told me, uh, I, I've got a swampy yard, and you told me about lava sand or right. building some berms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know where I can find lava sand? I've called a few places, and they go, what? What's a lot of Try, have you tried Stone and Soil Depot? Yes. And they don't have it. It is, is available bagged at just about any nursery, I would think. I would imagine Phoenix would have it. Rainbow Garden should have it. Uh, we certainly have it here at Shades of Green, but I'm not out just to promote ourselves. It, it may be harder yeah. to find in bulk, but um, yeah. I believe Nature's Creation well, may be the one. 2,000 square yeah. feet to cover. Yeah. Well, do it a little bit at a time. Um, <laughs> there you go. If yeah, I uh, oh, I'll look around at uh, some of the material yards and see if I can find anyone that has it in bulk. It's, uh, Stone and Soil used to carry it, but uh, they changed ownership and don't they don't have all the things they once did. But uh, let me make some inquiries too. But in the meantime, um, and, and I would recommend starting with a small area at first and see if it gives you the results you're looking for. And um, okay. I, again, I honestly think that where you can create a berm, that is going to be, it's certainly going to be a, a less expensive solution. And But, I, again, it, it just whatever fits your family's need and whatever, you know, what, whatever yes, sir. Will, okay. you would like to have. But the, the lava sand is going to be the best thing you can use to deal with it where it is now. But uh, let me look around and see if I can find anyone that has it in bulk. And uh, in the meantime, if you want to get started, uh, again, just a few bags at a time is a good way to go. Yes, sir. Can I ask you about mulch? Of course. I've got uh, – I've got uh, – some areas where they're, you know, a grouping of trees and uh-huh. there's a, you know, just a short wall built around them. 
um, uh-huh. and I need to put mulch in there, how deep do I need to put it? Um, to be effective, I'd say three to four inches. Uh, two to three inches is is what most people will aim for. I wouldn't go over. I think you're you know wasting. Uh, you, just the the law of uh, diminishing return sets in once you get much above three inches. So I, I'd say four inch maximum, and don't put it around the trunk. Out over the root zone, you know, is where you want your mulch. And what you're doing is just replacing what Mother Nature does, dropping the leaves every fall and little twigs and things like that. Most most trees are self-mulching, so to speak, in a native environment. But uh, two, three, four inches uh, would be good. But again, not around the trunk, only over the roots and if they have built up around, check and be sure that they had not have not buried that trunk. Be sure that you can see the, the what we call the root flare, where the trunk broadens out as it gets, as it gets close to ground level. Well, then there's another question for you. Um, we moved in to this house about four years ago, and it was already like this. Uh-huh. And there's not a root flare to be seen anywhere, and I've got about 20 trees. Okay. Again, one tree at a time. Uh, ultimately, having soil piled up around them will reduce their health, and eventually trees will probably die from it, even though that may take okay. years. The The tool that is used uh, to expose that root flare is something called an air spade. It's kind of like a sandblaster without any sand, and okay. it runs off the same big compressor that a jackhammer runs off of, and a someone skilled with an air spade can, you know, probably in a day's time could expose all twenty trees for you. It's not a, okay. it's not a super expensive or super time consuming, uh, project. It does. Uh, are, are how are these trees right up close against your home, or are they just spread out through the landscape? They're uh, they're out away from the house. Okay. Well, that's a good thing because uh, the one thing. If you, we actually got one of the our good friends at our tree care actually came over and we did a demonstration with the tree in our parking lot a couple of years ago. Lots of people came to watch and see how it works, and it's something that if it's up against your house, they usually you know will put up a sheet or two of plywood or things like that to protect windows and things like that. But where they're out in your landscape, uh, not going to be any big problem. But um, hopefully. Your trees haven't been buried deeply. I occasionally see one where the builder has brought several feet of soil in. And when you have that situation, you've pretty much got to expose the root flare and then build kind of a silo around it. And it sounds like you may already have some of that. But uh, Mm -hmm. you need to maintain air circulation around that lower part of the trunk to keep the trees healthy. Yeah, no, there, there is absolutely no root flare visible. Well, I, again, I, they're just an awful lot of builders that, that they'll be long gone before the trees start showing the problems. And uh, sadly, it's a very common problem. But thankfully, it's easy to correct. And with the air spade, again, a, a someone skilled, you can probably go out and rent an air spade. You may decide that you want to, after you've seen it done, if you if you don't get it all done at one time, it's something that uh, somebody with some, you know, upper body strength and a little bit of knowledge can do, but uh, the pros are just so good at it, and they can they can do it so quickly that yeah, uh, get in and get out. as as long as uh, gosh, most of them probably have maybe a 
oh, a 50-foot hose or so. They, they want to get the compressor, you know, that close to the trees, if at all possible. But, uh, again, call call some different people, and um, I'd, I'd probably call it or tree care. I'd probably call tree wise men. Um, don't necessarily just, you know, look for a number in the phone book. Some of the bigger companies, uh, I would ask for references and, of course, be sure that everybody's bonded and insured as you would with any contractor that comes on your property. But uh, there's some good companies you, out sir. there that, that are very skilled to do it pretty quickly. Very good. Thank you, sir. Well, you're certainly welcome. Keep me posted as uh, as this project continues, Scott. I look forward to hearing from we'll you. Do. Can Thank I you, check with you there at your shop about the Oh, the absolutely. Absolutely, okay. yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm usually away working on my ranch Tuesdays and Thursdays most every day. I'm I may not always be here. I may be out shopping for plants and things, but I'll get back to you if I miss you. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, let's see here. Chris, I guess we better get a break done and then we'll talk to Scott and Patrick and Amber. All right, back to gardening on a nice Sunday morning out there. A hot Sunday morning, but uh, it is uh, it is middle of June now, so it's probably only get worse for about three months. But uh, we're going to make the most of it as gardeners. Looks like we're going to talk to uh, Chris. It's uh, Patrick next, isn't it? Okay, it's going to be Patrick and Amber and Ken and Frank. And good morning, Patrick. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Well, one of the advantages of uh, gardening in a drought as far as gardeners go, is it certainly separates the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. I, I've got two plants that I'm, um, you know, one of them is new to me. One of them is a lila avocado. I bought two avocados and they gave, and they suggested that I use this uh, uh, soil to put the plants in in a big bucket. It's called cocoa bop. It's from Fox Farm. Fox farm. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I wonder if, if you could kind of give me a thumbnail sketch on that. And then I have one more question about my June gold peaches. Well, it's uh, Fox Farms uses different things in some of their different soil mixes. Uh, what this one is based on is something called Core, C O I R, and it's a uh, coconut fiber. It It is makes a, you know, a good soil substitute. It's far better than. Uh, you know, than the peat moss uh, that so many people use in so many of their mixes. But uh, uh, Phoenix has a lot of experience with uh, the avocados and the, uh, all kinds of fruit. They probably have grown and sold more than anybody else in the area. So if Mark or Mike, if that's what they're suggesting to plant in, it should be fine. You will find that it does drain well, but avocados really do need good drainage. Just be sure that you never let the pot dry out completely. When it's dry about an inch deep, it's time to flood it very, very thoroughly again. But uh, it should make a good medium for growing avocados if you are going to keep them in containers. Right, and that way I can move them if it drops below 22 degrees, at least in their early stages. I've right. been watering them every day. Uh, is that a bad idea with this particular medium? Well, just keep in mind that water doesn't hurt anything, but when you get so much water in the medium that it drives the oxygen out, uh, that's very hard on the plants. Uh, you know, somebody sticks your head in a bucket of water for 10 minutes, the water didn't kill you, lack of oxygen did. And plant roots are the same way. Plant roots have to have oxygen. So uh, you, the, the secret is water really thoroughly when you water, but use your index finger. Don't water again until that soil's dry a good inch deep. And um, never put a small 
plant in a great big pot. In other words, those avocados were probably in about three-gallon containers when you got them. So when you pot them up, you might go to a 10-gallon container, but it's going to be hard to maintain the moisture evenly if you put a, you know, have a giant container with a small plant in the middle of it. So check the soil right at the base of the plant, and uh, rather than doing it by the calendar, don't water again until that soil feels dry a good knuckle or two deep, and then give another very thorough watering. All righty. They're about three foot tall, and, yeah. uh, you know, they're doing fairly well right now. They've been in the ground for about a month. Yeah. Uh, the second question I have is I have two June Gold uh, uh, peach trees. The one on the right is always dark green. The one on the left is yellows quite a bit. Last year, we got 120 pounds of peaches off of that thing, and this year, wow. somehow during the night, we had a raccoon raid, and... Uh, <laughs> There was nothing left but peach pits and pawpaws. Oh, yeah. um, so I'm wondering, with the yellowing of the leaves uh, on the plant on the left, what do you recommend? There are many things that will cause. Um, are, are the veins darker green and the leaves yellow, or is this just the overall leaf yellowed? Uh, well, the plant, actually I'm looking at it from across the garden here. The plant, um, it's... Up on top, the leaves are really yellow, and uh, at midway down towards the bottom, they're medium green. And when I look at the plant on the right, they're just as dark green as you could possibly imagine. And how do you water? Do you have a drip system, or how are these trees watered? I water them with um, uh, an inverted sprinkler head so that the water soaks in. So um, I'll get out there about every three or four days and I'll water fairly profusely and uh, you know and I do like you'd say I check the soil I just and I just want to make sure they're getting enough well if the leaf is you know and and yellowing from the bottom up is usually a sign that the tree has gotten too dry at some point and okay. it, I, I would suspect that the lee, the tree that's dark green probably has also a better established root system. But it sounds right. to me like like number two tree uh, is has not it. And sometimes you know if it dries really dries out one time, it'll drop yellow leaves for six weeks afterwards. And for whatever right. reason, either that sprinkler's not getting the water where it needs to be, or the soil is not permeable enough for the water to really move through effectively. It doesn't sound right. like a nutrient deficiency. Everybody thinks that if a tree is yellowing, well, it's deficient in iron or deficient in nitrogen. Those will cause chlorosis, but generally that will impact the whole tree at one time. And generally when you look at a leaf, you will the veins will remain darker green, whereas the leaf tissue per se has gotten yellowed. So it sounds more like a water issue to me. Uh, do check the base of the trees because you should see a root flare on peach trees just like you do on shade trees. And right. um, uh, mulching is also going to help, not up against the trunk, but out over the root zone. That's going to keep the soil cooler. That's going to you know, help maintain good microbial life as well as helping to maintain some moisture in the soil. So I'd, I'd check your watering. I would add some mulch and don't expect to see a lot of change uh, probably until it starts to cool down in the fall. But you've obviously got right. a couple of very good productive trees. And much as I hate to say it, um, you know, not having had to fully ripen the fruit, 
maybe a little bit better for uh, for the trees themselves. But I use electric. I use electricity to stop raccoons. I just have not found <laughs> anything that works better. And electric fencing is is not what it used to be. It doesn't mean you know a bare wire anymore. You can at least what I have are these little fiberglass stakes that are two and a half feet tall. And where, you know, a big rancher, I mean, if you're running a 10-mile electric fence, you're going to use a heavy-duty wire. But nowadays, you can get what is actually more like a polypropylene rope uh, that has the little tiny copper wires embedded all through it. And you're not cutting and bending. You're just literally, you know, hooking this in and, you know, tying it off. And I've I've used it very successfully to keep raccoons out of corn and things. And... Uh, you know, I, maybe I'm a little bit sadistic in some ways, but I hate the, letting those little guys get my crop. And I would go out in the evening, every evening, and wet down the soil underneath where I have my little electric fence uh, strung up so that they would make very good contact with the soil. And in the middle of the night when I'd hear that just that horrible scream down in the garden, I knew that one of the raccoons had just discovered my electric fence and probably was halfway to the next county now. So uh, as your fruit starts to ripen next year, that, that's my solution. But raccoons, possums, uh, they're not dummies. They're going to pick just about the time the fruit is getting to the uh, peak of ripeness. And they, like you said, they will take every fruit off the tree. But, uh, um, it, it, you know, other trees you can use uh, a guard on the trunk. But uh, a low branch tree like a peach, it's amazing how far they can jump from the ground up. So I'd be thinking about just a little uh, double wire electric fence around the area when your fruit starts approaching ripeness. And it's very easy if you choose to do so. You can uh, put your fence up, leave it there for two weeks, and pull it back down again and leave it in the garage until next season. Right. Now, and getting back to the watering, uh, basically the three, the, the, the sprinkler heads that I have inverted are those kinds that just spray up in the air, so I don't want right. to waste the water. But sure. it's at the base of the tree, so do I need to expand that? Oh or yeah, just go yeah. ahead and water from the base. No, you need uh, if these out? trees if these trees are any size, uh, your roots are going to extend probably fifty percent beyond the drip line of the tree. But most of the water is going to be taken up within about 10 feet of the trunk. So I would move somewhere between 5 and 8 feet out from the trunk to really do a thorough water. Maybe leave one of them up closer to the trunk, but I suspect the majority of the roots that you're trying to hit are going to be roughly 5 feet out from the trunk of the tree. All right. I think that pretty much covers just about everything. I sure appreciate it. Thanks. I like your information. You owe me a peach cobbler when uh, when next year comes around. <laughs> You told me that last year. <laughs> Patrick, it's good to talk to you. You have a have a wonderful Sunday afternoon, and let's see. Yeah, let's go move along and go ahead and talk to Amber, Chris. Uh, good morning, Amber. Hi, Amber. Are you oh, there, Amber? Hi, Bob. Yes, Hi there. I'm, I'm sorry. Good. good. I had it on mute. Um, so I have some tomato question and a Blue Lake green bean um, pole bean question. Okay. Um, so the garden that my husband and daughter are doing is beautiful. It is green. It just is beautiful. They water three times um, a day, 30 minutes on a drip system. And um, the Blue Lake poles, like I said, they look beautiful. They're growing, growing, growing. They're in mushroom compost mm-hmm. with 
Medina growing green and Medina has to grow plus some azomite rock dust. Right. But they're not producing. Welcome to pole beans. I have stopped trying okay. to grow pole beans in this area. Bush beans, okay. you will be successful 98% of the time. When we get a hot summer like this, you're going to get just a bean here and a bean there, whether it's Blue Lake or whichever one of them it is. I, I've just stopped recommending pole beans for uh, you know for okay. most of the San Antonio and the Hill Country. And when we get a hot summer like this, it's going to be an exercise in frustration. Pretty vines, okay. no beans. Okay, so can we um, obviously take them out? And it's too late to plant anything, any any kind of green beans now, right? No, no, no. You can plant uh, plant bush beans. Again, if you can find contender, I think that is the most heat-tolerant variety. I think top crop is about the second most heat-tolerant variety. But you could probably get by with Blue Lake uh, bush. But just pole beans, I've tried every one out there, and I've not found a single one that really consistently gives me good beans. But you got plenty of time. In fact, I'd plant a, a crop of uh, contender if you can find them now. I plant another one by about the 1st of August, and you should be picking beans all through the fall. Oh, okay, great. Okay, and then um, the tomatoes. My husband calls them indeterminate tomatoes, but Correct. I know uh-huh. them as cherry and Roma uh-huh. um, varieties. So they're in the same thing. Look beautiful. They make yellow flowers. Um, they're in raised beds, 10 by 3 and 12 by 3, with the mushroom compost three times a day at 30 minutes on the drip with the Medina green growing and the has to grow. No tomatoes. Well, you're watering way too often. I mean, once okay. a day once a day should do it, and your plants are just okay. going to be all foliage and no fruit. Um, with uh, the, the difference in an indeterminate tomato and a determinate tomato, an indeterminate tomato is basically a big vine. And it just keeps right. on growing and growing and growing and producing. Now, small fruited versus large fruited tomatoes. Large fruited tomatoes stop producing when the nights get really hot and start up again in the fall. Uh, large fruited tomatoes do. Small fruited tomatoes, which includes the cherries and some Roma varieties, they have the capacity to pretty much keep producing all throughout the summer months. But I'd much rather see you watering once every day or maybe once every two days because when you you know when you give a tomato an excess of moisture it's going to grow like a weed but it's going to do that at the expense of putting on much in the way of fruit and the other thing i'll tell you about tomatoes and for this that matter most things in the garden if things are droopy at night i don't really worry about it when it's 105 degrees and the breeze is blowing everything's going to droop whether it's dry or not if it's still right. droopy the next morning, it needs to be watered. But uh, a lot of people okay. water just because something looks droopy. Uh, right. And many times the soil is still quite moist, and you're doing more damage than good when you do that. Okay, so do we need to thin the beds out at this point or just no, drop the no, watering and then Not wait? at all. i just adjust okay. the watering. I'd replant uh, with your bush beans. Um, if okay. you want, you can plant more squash. There are you know, plenty of things that we can grow throughout the summer months. Uh, the, right. the heat the heat is going to reduce production, and it's very definitely going to be hard on the gardener. But uh, right. you should be able to harvest things from the garden pretty much all summer. If you like the hotter peppers, you know, everything from the yeah, you know, the barely hot. Yeah, the peppers are growing great. Yeah, they, they should be, yeah. and they should continue. Keep Keep fertilizing, but same way on them. 
do water less often and very, very thoroughly and deeply when you do, but uh, you're going to end up with uh, nice peppers without a lot of flavor uh, watering them. Too oh, much. okay. Okay. And this is a, a fall question. I apologize, but I forget every year to ask you at this time. So I want to plant some jack-o'-lantern type pumpkins for my grandson. Uh-huh. Um, when would I do that and what, what variety would I do? I'm not trying to make a harvest. I'm not trying to make pies out of them. You know, just some pumpkins for him to go out and mess There, in. There are lots of pumpkins out there. Most all of them will make a good jack-o'-lantern pumpkin. Okay. Uh, just look at the seed package and look at what, the, somewhere on there it will always tell you how many days on average right. it is from the time you plant the seed until, you know, the pumpkin is ready. Uh, and just okay. back that off from the time that you want to have them ready. If you say, oh, I want them, you know, around the 20th of October or something like that, if it's a 60-day pumpkin, then you're going to back okay. it off and you're going to plant around uh, the 20th of October or so. But some varieties, okay, most most pumpkin varieties are going to be in the, you know, 50 to 70 hour range. But you just are going to have to look at the individual varieties. Um, and uh, they actually uh, sell one just as a jack-o'-lantern pumpkin. Uh, there are some of them that are just enormous. I would stick away, stay away from the Big Bertha and some of those that are meant to, okay. you know, grow up to weigh 400 pounds. But just right. uh, any, any of your medium-sized pumpkins are going to do just fine for you. Okay, great. That makes sense. Um, so I go to Lowe's. I can just pick any up, t- pick any of the pumpkin seeds that fit with our timeline. Um, I, I we found that. Sorry, you found what now? Well, we found that just going to Lowe's or you know somewhere like that, um, buying their seeds just doesn't cut it. So we've right. done seed catalogs and Rainbow Gardens and you know all that fanix and all that stuff. So I just wanted to make sure. Um, where the best place to find the seeds was probably wherever I'm getting the other seeds, huh? Well, probably so. And it's probably not Lowe's and it's not tractor (laughs) supply and it's not home Depot and it's not (laughs) HEB, but, um, right, right, right. If you, um, if you want a good national company, if you're buying a bunch of seed, uh, look at Baker Creek, Baker Creek seeds is one of the better companies out there. They're pretty much organic in all they do and really nice people to deal with. Um, now, David's okay, well, Garden I, Seed here in San Antonio, yes. um, great people. And David works really hard and has an incredible selection of seed. Uh, his seed packages are smaller, which is good if you want to try a lot of different varieties. Right. But if you've got a really big garden and you want bigger packages, again, Baker Creek is who I do business with. Yeah, we, we love David's um, Garden. I think they had a location in Poteet maybe or something. but That's where, that's uh, where they've moved now. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Okay, good. Well, I'm sorry. I really did call in only with a tomato question, but then I started thinking. (laughs) You um, you and everybody else, and that's what we're here for. So, uh, And your your call screener has a great sense of humor, so I love him. Um, He is. He is absolutely wonderful. Well, it's always a pleasure, (laughs) Amber. Good luck with your gardening, and I appreciate the call. Thank you. All right. Let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Ken is up next. Good morning, Ken. Yes. Good morning, um, sir. I'd like to know about a problem with wasps. Okay, what kind of wasps? I'm not really sure, but they got in some cardboard boxes. So I'm wondering if there's something like a bait that you can put out there, which will draw them in and then take it back to the nest and get rid of them. I'm 
really don't know of anything like that. Um, are you seeing the wasp? Can you describe the uh, actual wasp to me? I have not actually seen them, and when I'm out there, they don't bother me. But yeah. someone decided to throw away those boxes for me, and they chased them away. Um, most I can't wasps. See them to spray it. Yeah, most wasps are actually beneficial, and so uh, that I, I don't know of any bait that you can really use to go after them. Uh, if and when we do get back to a little bit cooler mornings, uh, wasps are much less active early in the day, and that's the time you can get out and uh, locate their nest. Most of the ones that are going to build in the open are the smaller ones they call yellow jackets, and again, they're not going to bother you if you're not up close to the nest. There is a red and black wasp that is pretty much the same, builds out in the open, Unfortunately, the worst of the bunch is uh, this solid red wasp, and they like to build their nest where they're sort of hidden in, among other things, uh, you know, a hole in siding or a pile of cardboard boxes or something like that that they can get yeah. into. Yeah, I what I would what I would probably do is, uh, and again, if we if we talked two three weeks ago when the mornings were still pretty chilly. Uh, if you're out there at first light, they're going to be much, much less active. <clears throat> and then it's just a matter of finding the nest and spraying them. They've got some pretty good aerosol wasp sprays, and many of you can spray them from 10 feet away. So uh, you can certainly get to them. But like you say, the problem is going to be finding where this nest is. And best thing I can tell you is uh, either really soak the area down with water which uh you may get them moving to where you can yeah. see them um yeah, do that yeah it's uh but, on a but, covered porch okay um it's just you're gonna have to pick the coolest part of the day and once again try to watch very carefully and see where they're coming and going and then i just use one of the aerosol sprays again i leave the yellow jackets and the red and black wasps uh, alone because they're not aggressive but that solid red one is very aggressive and delivers a very painful sting. And it's just, uh, again, it's just very slowly, you know, move things back, move them away to where hopefully you will be able to see and observe the nest before you really agitate the wasp. But pick the coolest time that you can possibly do that because the cooler it is, the less active they are, the easier it is to find and eliminate. But, um other other than that, it's just, you know, pick, watch, and see if you can find the most likely opening uh, with one of these aerosol sprays. Just, you know, kind of douse the area as best you can. They're very effective, and they kill them almost instantly. But uh, it's it's tough to find the nest sometimes if they're buried down in, among other things. But there is there is no bait that they will take back to the nest because what they feed on is uh, mainly caterpillars of one sort or another, and um, I guess nobody's made a, catap- a caterpillar-flavored bait that a wasp will go after. So uh, you're just going to have to approach them very carefully. I'm sure that uh, any of your pest control companies, ABC, Pest and Lawn, or anybody like that, would be happy to take care of it for you, but they're going to charge a you know premium price to do so. Uh, they do have, you know, and they, these guys can wear the same sort of thing a beekeeper wears to uh, protect themselves from the wasp, but 
from the homeowner has just moved slowly, deliberately, and the absolute coolest time of the day to find them and eliminate them. Well, it doesn't look like we're going to have cool for a while now. And uh, unfortunately, you're, yeah, it, it looking down the road, you know, the, the nighttime temperatures look like they may drop back five or six degrees or so. But uh, just like I say, absolutely the coolest time of the day is going to be your very best time, probably very early morning uh, to get after them. But if you're going to do it yourself, that that's your best chance. And, of course, you know, wear long sleeves, wear long pants, expose as little of your flesh as possible and uh, something that, uh, uh, you know, just get as much protection as you can. If you have any friends that keep bees, uh, they might actually be able to help you or at the very least uh, loan you one of the, uh, you know, the little suits that the beekeepers wear to, uh, um, you know, protect themselves from the bees. Uh, and I wish I could wish I could tell you a better way, but uh, I... I fight the same thing, and I just get them late in the evening or early in the morning and try to do it from a distance. What benefit are wasps? They kill and eat uh, caterpillars primarily, that uh, webworms in the trees, if you have you know plenty of wasps around. And, uh, and again, the non-aggressive ones do just as good a job as the aggressive uh, red ones do. But uh, they take care of things like webworms. They take care of most of the caterpillars that are damaging in the garden. Uh, caterpillars are their main food source, and uh, anybody who's garden long has probably fought plenty of caterpillars, and that's that's the main thing the wasps eliminate. There are other wasps, which are totally non-aggressive, that go after spiders, uh, but these uh, paper wasps, as we call them, they they mainly feed on caterpillars. Well, they weren't a problem until someone started moving the boxes. I could stand out there and no problem, but mm-hmm. but I guess when someone tried to throw out the boxes, they chased them away. Well, they just uh, they they they're not going to be the all of them except the red ones. As long as you don't disturb the nest, they don't get aggressive. But uh, the hotter it gets, the more aggressive the red ones become. And so uh, I I try to take care of them as soon as you can while the nest is still relatively small. I've seen bigger nests that may have 50 or more wasps on them, and you definitely do not want to let it get to that point. So it's going to be a matter of locating the nest, and that's just you're going to have to do slowly and carefully and, uh, you know, maybe get a friend to help you. One of you gradually move things. The other watch carefully for the wasps, and uh, um, that's going to be your best bet. I wish I could tell you more, but, again, if uh, – if you have an allergy to them or anything like that, then it's worth paying a pest control company to come take care of it because uh, they'll they'll kill the entire nest. I mean, they will get rid of them, but that uh, doesn't mean that more of them won't fly in and build more additional nests. But just try to, you know, uh, again, try to keep an eye on where they're flying and where they're going and try to, if, if the solid red ones, take care of them before they get a real big nest going. No so, bait or anything to just no, get rid of them around that whole area or something. There is there is not a bait that will get rid of. Now, if you, uh, again, there are sprays, but there is no bait out there and uh, nothing that a wasp will pick up and take back that will control the nest. So you, if you need to control them, you've got to find the nest and control the wasp where, where the nest is. So wish it were easier, but get get some professional help if you need it.